That's not, that's not evil? Being hostile to all mankind and subversive is not evil? Well, I have to say that because St. Paul said the Jews are enemies of the entire human race. They are. What do you think of Jordan Peterson? Uh, did you see the video about where he said I can't do it? Adam, I'm trying to do you a favor. Don't make your ignorance normative for the rest of us. Don't, don't use those kinds of slurs. On what, are there are no slurs here. Definitely, our most requested guest, uh, Dr. E. Michael Jones, a man who needs no introduction. I mean, it is. That's what they. That's what they pay the Rockefeller Foundation to do. Uh, you're not supposed to know what I just told you. They didn't know about this. They didn't know what we know now. Is there any argument you can use to wake them up? Yeah, I think that God had a plan for your life. Uh, you'd be jerking off every curvy piece of driftwood you saw at the beach. Maybe you would. And you're consistently refusing to talk about pornography. Uh, Pete Buttigieg yeah. seems to be the exhibit A of that process. Yes, yes. Because you think that the anus is a sex organ, don't you, Pete? Uh, Richard Spencer hands out spears and he says, charge the machine gun nest. Dr. Jones. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Not all of the hands of the Federal Reserve were Jews, but after a certain period of time, uh, that seemed to be the case. Hello. Welcome to EMJ Live coming you from coming to you from beautiful Margaritaville, mid Florida Gulf Coast, where I'm here uh, enjoying the weather, beautiful weather today and meditating on the wreck of our republic. But before I get into that, uh, we have to have a news uh, flash here. Uh, Marjorie Taylor Greene, speaking of Pete Buttigieg, just introduced a bill into Congress uh, asking that the government reduce Pete Buttigieg's salary to $1 a year in light of the terrible job that he is doing as Secretary of Transportation. So that thing that I said about uh, Pete Buttigieg uh, not uh, understanding that there's a nature to things has come true. It is now uh, uh, that bill passed in Congress. The House of Representatives passed that bill. And so Pete is going to have to restrict uh, his expenses if it passes the Senate. Uh, One dollar does not go very far in Washington, D.C. Which leads us to a meditation on Margaritaville. Uh, beautiful environment here. 
uh, at least in terms of the nature that God created. It's a place that's conducive to meditating on peace, uh, tranquility, the sunsets are beautiful, but the, the built environment is just not uh, up to what God would expect here. We live, uh, we're in a city here, which has huge numbers of high rise buildings. They've all been built with probably since it, in the last 10 years, big building boom going on in Florida. Florida had 300,000 new residents arrive here last year alone. Uh, it looks as if they're all going to be living in high rise condominiums uh, along the Gulf Coast and the Atlantic Coast. Uh, but once you get out of this area, it's, it's kind of uh, depressing. Uh, cinder block bunkers, uh, motels, uh, wig shops, uh, alcohol, so on and so forth. Not very impressive uh, because uh, maybe because of the hurricanes, maybe think everything gets swept away here once a year. It's hard to build. Maybe it's because of the culture. Maybe it's because of what's going on in the mind of the leadership of, of Florida. Which brings us to Ron DeSantis, a meditation on Ron DeSantis, uh, the governor of Florida, a man that is still governor. Uh, he got here, um, he, he made his appearance a big splash on the public scene uh, a few years ago. Uh, the thing that made Ron DeSantis from a national point of view was COVID. Ron DeSantis refused to go along with the COVID mandates. God bless him. Uh, you don't need to worry about COVID in Florida because you have sunshine and fresh air and you can walk around with uh, very little clothing on uh, for most of the year, which means that your skin uh, produces vitamin D when it comes in contact with the sunshine and you don't get sick. I've noticed myself a distinct change in my uh, physical well-being, largely because of all the sunshine that I've absorbed during this period of time. Uh, but, uh, and that was followed up uh, by uh, another brilliant coup on Ron DeSantis's part, which was basically the attack on Disney, Disney World, which had become a mecca for the homosexual agenda, a mecca for homosexuals. The phrase started to circulate, it's as gay as Disney World. Uh, and that's what it was. And then not content just to welcome homosexuals to that resort, they started promoting uh, the homosexual agenda and uh, the people of Florida uh, objected. Ron DeSantis articulated their complaints and basically waged a successful war on uh, Disney. Disney had uh, Disney World. This is not the Disney that I grew up uh, knowing about. If you want the full story, uh, my colleague, Elisa Rangel, has written a brilliant article in Culture Wars magazine describing how the original Disney, the man from the Midwest who celebrated American values, uh, basically got taken over first by the government and then by the Jews who bought them out and then used the Disney brand to spread uh, their transgressive message. Uh, which is where they are today, subverting everything that Disney uh, stood for. So that was a second triumph on the part of Ron DeSantis. And at this point, uh, he started to feel that he was bigger than the state of Florida. He got uh, presidential ambitions. Uh, 
I don't think he was ready for this. Uh, most of the people I talked to down here uh, agree he wasn't ready for this because Florida stood for something. Uh, and I think it was in the song that uh, opened our segment, that Jimmy Buffett song. Jimmy Buffett, by the way, just died recently. Too much uh, sunshine in uh, Florida, got skin cancer, passed away. Uh, that song was written in 1977. Hard to believe that it's been around for that long. Celebrating uh, Florida culture, maybe Key West culture more than that. Key West was always famous for its deviance. It was a, a place where the artists came to hang out in cold winter. Uh, Hemingway had a, Ernest Hemingway had a permanent uh, standing point at, at the bar there. Uh, when he wasn't in Cuba, where he had another permanent place at the bar, uh, drinking himself to death. Um, Ernest Hemingway, one of the great moments of Catholic history in the United States of America, met up with probably, so let's say the, if not the greatest novelist of the 20th century, uh, meets uh, probably the greatest poet of the 20th century in America, Wallace Stevens, who made his living as an insurance agent in Connecticut, uh, but come, came down to um, Key West for rest and relaxation. And for some strange reason, both of these men who were converts to the Catholic faith got into a fist fight in Key West, Florida. Uh, figure that one out. It's beyond me. It's certainly not a manifestation of their Catholicism. But anyway, apparently uh, Wallace Stevens, the poet, hit Hemingway in the jaw and broke his fist, broke his wrist. Uh, shows you what kind of a jaw Hemingway had. So uh, that's Margaritaville, a uh, friend of mine, Tom Bramer, uh, grew up in Florida. Classic example of someone who was wasting away in Margaritaville. Died uh, less than a year ago of uh, pancreatic cancer largely because of the lifestyle. It wasn't, uh, you know, was still in his late 50s, maybe 60, so died young because of the lifestyle. But it is what it is. You have to accept existence because there's a reason that things exist, even if you don't agree with the reason. And uh, there is something about Florida, and Florida came to symbolize something, which is I saw when I'm walking over the causeway to get to the beach where I can uh, roast my skin in that uh, strong California sun. And there's a yacht going underneath the bridge and there's a big flag flying there and it says, let's go Brandon, which we all know meant fuck Joe Biden. Uh, but that is some indication because that's the way uh, Ron DeSantis talked to Joe Biden. I think it had something to do with COVID uh, regulations that, uh, Biden was upset because Florida was not following federal COVID regulations. So he got him on the phone and there was that famous exchange, which ended when Ron DeSantis told Joe Biden, go fuck yourself and hung up the phone. I hate to bring this in, but it's the language of the political world these days. So don't blame me. Although I have to say, it probably is my own damn fault as Jimmy Buffett would say. So what happened? What happened here? I think, in order to explain what happened to Ron DeSantis, we have to go back to the Chinese philosopher Sun, Sun Tzu. Sun Tzu is famous for one statement. 
if you don't know yourself and you can't identify the enemy, you will lose every battle. Now, what is Ron DeSantis? Well, he's the governor. He's a Republican. He's a graduate of an Ivy League school. But beneath all that, and I would say his fundamental bedrock identity is that he's a Catholic. Because as I've said many times before, the fundamental bedrock of identity, ethnic identity in America is religion. You are a Protestant, a Catholic, or a Jew, according to the triple melting pot. And I think now in the light of what has happened in Gaza, in the light of what has happened in those huge demonstrations that we saw in places like Chicago, uh, Washington, especially Brooklyn, we have to revise this theory and say it's now a quadruple melting pot because you can also be a Muslim. I think we have to look, if we're going to have Jews as an ethnic group with just basically scratching 2% of the population, we're going to have to uh, bring the Muslims in as well. And they have exercised their muscle here uh, in this latest, all of these latest protests against uh, the way the Israelis are conducting the war in Gaza. By the way, to bring that up to its latest date, to the latest events, it is clear now uh, the, the uh, Israeli forces are closing in on Gaza City. Uh, Hamas has retreated into the tunnels. Hamas, according to their own account, has blown up 100, I think 150 some Israeli vehicles, not all tanks, but the Merkava tank has shown that it's vulnerable to this type of attack where Hamas pops out of the tunnel. Uh, you've seen the video probably runs up, uh, sticks the, uh, the, uh, the RPG, the charge on the tank and blows it up. Okay. Uh, this is something that I've said before. The tank is uh, an obsolete weapon. It is a relic of World War II. It was the antidote to the machine gun. It is now uh, obsolete because rockets can take out even the most advanced tank and the Merkava is certainly probably the most advanced tank in the world and show it's showing its vulnerability. Also, uh, tanks were not meant for fighting in cities. So the Israelis continue to destroy Gaza. They continue to commit war crimes by dropping bombs on Palestinian civilians, women and children are dying at an enormous rate, uh, but they are not succeeding. The, the crucial moment came uh, yesterday, I believe the analysis military summary channel, you can go on my uh, Twitter page and you get the link and you can watch it yourself. Uh, but uh, the Israelis are not going to go into the tunnels. I predicted this weeks ago it turns out that I was right. They are not going to go into the tunnels. They've come into buildings where they discovered entrances to the tunnels. And instead of going in and basically finding the hostages, liberating the hostages, going toe to toe with Hamas on their own territory, they're dropping bombs into the tunnel entrance. That's the same thing. It's just a variation on what they're doing outside. They're dropping bombs on uh, apartment buildings. They are not going to do that. They do not have the will. They do not have the capacity. They do not have the courage 
to go in and confront Hamas man to man. Uh, and so it's not going to happen. It's we are going to reach, I predict we are going to reach a stalemate. Eventually, public opinion is going to force Benjamin Netanyahu either out of office, it's going to be either he's going to get forced out of office by his own people, or he's going to have to initiate a ceasefire and the Israelis will withdraw once again, as they did from Lebanon and Gaza before, uh, because the news is tightening around Benjamin Netanyahu's neck, not just because of the resistance of Gaza, of Hamas in Gaza, but also uh, if you, I, I put the link to Max Blumenthal's uh, article, uh, it's coming out now that basically the, the people responsible for that slaughter of Israeli citizens uh, at the beginning of the uh, incursion was the Israelis. They did it. They killed their own people. And now they're showing the photographs and they're claiming that Hamas killed them. No, the Israelis killed them. How do we know this? Simply by the forensic evidence. If you look at uh, that's, that scene of all of those cars, like it must be over 100 cars, every one of them toasted, uh, burnt to a crisp, uh, wrecked beyond, almost beyond recognition. There's no weapon in the arsenal of Hamas that can do that. The only thing that can do it is what did do it, which is the Israeli uh, Apache hel helicopter firing Hellfire missiles into a group of people where they could not distinguish the Palestinians from the Israelis, but they decided to exterminate all of them because that's the only thing they know how to do. Kill people indiscriminately from the air. Okay, which brings us back to Ron DeSantis. As I said, Ron DeSantis is a Catholic. There are now, I'm going to expand it to four options. There are only four options in America. If you want to do follow Sun Tzu, the first part of Sun Tzu, which means you have to know who you are. You've got four options, Protestant, Catholic, Jew, Muslim now. Okay, he's one of them. He's a Catholic. That's the fundamental bedrock of existence. That's how he grew up in Florida. They, they are his roots. Okay. That's why he got elected governor. That's why he understands in some sense what Florida is all about. It's about Margaritaville. It's about people coming down here because they want to be left alone. Uh, people who have uh, worked hard their entire lives and come down here from places like the godforsaken North where it's cold in the winter and they want to enjoy the end of their lives. Okay, God bless them. You earned it, so come down here and do that. But that doesn't, that means that Florida is somehow different. People come here to be left alone. And the manifestation of that is development in Florida, which is not pretty. It's not pretty. Sorry. I wish it were. Uh, I love the climate, but the development is a manifestation of that individualism run amok. Uh, okay. It's not pretty. It's sprawl. It's the best thing you'd say about it. Sprawl. I've talked about this years ago when I was involved in writing um, books about uh, the slaughter of cities and so on and so forth. Uh, the Congress of New Urbanism built a model community all the way up in northeastern Florida. I forget the name of it. I, I'm thinking of celebration, but it's probably not that. It's another name, but anyway, uh, the the whole Congress was the idea of you know walking, 
houses. It's a little bit like the Disney World. You walk into Disney World, it's the America of Walt Disney where houses are close to the street and you walk down the street and it's three quarter size, it's human scale and you wave to your neighbor and you're brought back in time, except for the fact now that the whole process, the whole thing has been uh, turned into a celebration of homosexuality. Uh, this is this is the this is the identity of Florida, uh, for better or for worse. The identity is that it doesn't have a center, it doesn't have an identity. Ron DeSantis is a manifestation of that. Okay, uh, and so the first part of Ron, the tragedy of Ron DeSantis, is that he doesn't know who he is. The second part is he can't identify the enemy, and proof of that was. Uh, okay, takes on Disney, that's great, but that's not the identity of Disney. Disney is a Jewish operation. He didn't seem to know that, okay? Why do I say that? Because he's done other things that were so outrageous uh, from an American point of view that you would have to understand, had to be some type of mistake as his part, or as the people down here are telling me, his handlers. And so in order to run, you have to have Jewish money and you have to have the approval of Jews. And he sought that assiduously and went out of his way to insult the very Americans that he had on his side because he stood up to COVID by passing one of uh, a ridiculous hate crimes bill that will not pass muster by the Supreme Court. It's going to be struck down. You can bet your bottom dollar on that. Uh, so it's grandstanding, knowing that it's not, it is going to fail. The, the legislature passes the bill, and where does Ron go then? Tel Aviv. Wait a minute. Is Tel Aviv the ca capital of Israel? I feel I'm back to, uh, 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 you know, uh, uh, the conservative mind. You know, the author of that goes to the Philadelphia Society and says, is Tel Aviv the capital of America? No, but it's the capital of Florida. Goes there, signs the bill, and then sits down next to Miriam Adelson, and at that point completely blows up his campaign. And as Jimmy Buffett would say, it's your own damn fault. It's your own damn fault. Because you don't know who you are, and you don't know who your enemy is. And as, as Sun Tzu says, you are going to lose every battle. And now you're no longer in contention. And the fact that people are talking about your elevator heels is a sign that they, uh, you've lost the respect of the American public. Now, this didn't have to happen. Didn't have to happen because I want to end on a positive note. And the positive note is that I was able to go down to Ave Maria. This is a Catholic community uh, in the middle of nowhere, okay? That's the negative part of it. It's in the middle of the state, southern part, uh, on a line with Fort Myers and uh, around there, but in the middle of the state where it really gets hot in the summer. And I can imagine what it's like in the summer if it's like this in November. Uh, and it's the, the architecture is kind of suburban, so it wouldn't pass muster uh, with the Congress of New Urbanism. But I have to say, it has a center, and the center is the church. And it's because it's got that center in the church, it has an identity. And because it has an identity, it has succeeded as a community. You know, you can quibble about the architecture, 
But it's clear that that place has succeeded in a way that the Congress of New Urbanism hasn't. Their model village has not because it's got an identity and the other places don't. And that's part of what we have to understand that there is an identity out there that we do have an identity that it's based on religion as I've been saying for years now, and that this is going to be what keeps us through. What we're going to see here is these identities are going to exist. Protestantism may evaporate. Uh, the vacuum that that creates, it looks as if it's being filled by Muslims, but it's also being filled by converts to Catholicism. Same thing with the Jews. Jews are converting, uh, which has always been my project, my prayer, the thing that I've been working for is their conversion, which is consistent with the Catholic faith. But we have here the recipe for success in the culture wars. You have to know who you are and you have to be able to identify the enemy. And if you do that, as Sun Tzu says, he's not a Catholic, you will win every battle. Okay, let's hear what you have to say. Hello? You there, Dr. Jones? Yeah, are you there? Can you hear me now? Yeah, I can hear you now. Okay, cool. All right, let's let's give this a shot. Um, okay, uh, uh, let me just read off the rules and I'll tell you guys what's going on. Um, okay, welcome to EMJ Live. Hello, Mike Bajakis here, uh, Dr. Jones' assistant uh, in South Bend. Dr. Jones is in Florida. Uh, uh, call-ins are made via our Telegram, links in description. In Telegram, I will call on those who uh, raise their hands, and then later in the stream, read off uh, uh, text questions in the chat. Try to keep on subject, try to keep one question at a time, be respectful of time, and do not forget to unmute yourself. All right, so this morning I had a lot of trouble um, testing our whole setup, because if Dr. Jones is out there, I'm here. It's a bit of a Rue Goldberg machine. So there's a chance that these call-ins won't work. We're going to find out here shortly. And if they don't, I'll just read off chats. Um, okay, let's give this a shot. Let's go to MV, their first caller. Let's see if this works. Go ahead, MV. Hey, can you hear me? Okay. Dr. Jones, I just want to say I was in um, Germany recently, and I visited the Cal uh, camp, and... According to someone from uh, I know who was there probably two decades ago, it's not as focused on just the Jews that were in the camp. Now it's pretty much evenly divided. I mean, of course, they mentioned the Jews, but there's the Sinti, the Roma, and they did focus a little bit on the Catholics, maybe not as much as you mentioned. But in the back of the camp, there is a chapel that was erected, and they make mention of the 2,700 Catholics who were there. Uh, there's actually a uh, a uh, excuse me, a convent just outside the gates. I don't know if that's been there the whole time or what, but when we were there, uh, there was a priest and a couple of nuns who came out and did a, a little prayer ceremony there. Um, so it, it's not like they didn't cover it at all. I just wanted to mention that. Um, that's great. That's you know, great. You know, that. I'm, I'm glad to hear that the Catholic memory, the memory of those Catholic priests who, who were there, the Catholics who were there, has been preserved by the government. This is a good sign. This is good news. I'm glad you shared that good news with me. Did you talk to the priest about Christos and Dachau? Did you have a conversation with him at all? I, I didn't interrupt them. Uh, and I'm not sure how much English they, the priest spoke, but they were obviously in the middle of, you know, they did, they, we got there and they just started uh, 
the uh, prayer ceremony. This uh, did, I think, a decade, um, but didn't want to interrupt that. Okay, so this is this is big. This is big. There are no gas chambers in Dachau, but there is a chapel. This is the paradigm shift that has to take place. If we as Catholics want to regain our identity here, we were victims of identity theft because of Elie Wiesel's night and the traitor Francois Mauriac, who basically took the narrative and turned it upside down, flipped it 180 degrees from there's a purpose to suffering, uh, this was punishment for atheism, to the Elie Wiesel Jewish narrative where uh, Auschwitz is the paradigmatic camp, and God died at Auschwitz. So this is good news. I'm glad you shared this. This is good news. Well, I did want to say, I want to say one other thing. There actually was a gas chamber there that they said was built, but never used, at least not much. That was used for a few inmates who were executed here and there, but it was not used on a mass scale. Now they pointed to this room. They said it was a shower room, but it was disguised uh, as a shower room. It really was a gas chamber. The shower heads actually shut out gas. And, and, and next to it was a uh, de-lousing chamber where the clothes would be de-loused. And th they also had the four ovens that were built there and the two original ovens. So there was there are, there is a gas chamber there, but as far as what they're calling it, I'm not sure if you know more about that than I do. I'm not sure either because there was a time when they, the public announced the head of this thing uh, said there were no gas chambers at, at Dachau. Now, there, uh, yeah, you, you, there were de-lousing chambers, okay? No one's contesting that. The ovens... Uh, were crematory ovens and uh, they were there too. We're not contesting that. But this is the question is, well, when was that constructed? Is it, look, I'm gonna be honest with you. You can't use, you can't send Cyclone B through a shower head. You cannot do it. It does not work. We are coming, the second book that we're coming out with uh, is going to be deal with all of that forensic evidence, all the forensic issues, the huge uh, battle that took place that is known as Holocaust uh, revisionism. Uh, and that's where you can get it. I didn't, uh, uh, John and I were thinking of co-authoring one book. By the time we both finished, we realized, no, there are two separate books. There are two different ways of dealing with this. He's a lawyer. I'm a literary critic. We just, we couldn't bring them together, but that that's his his, that's his forte. I he, we, we got to the, the title of the book. We're going back and forth. His, the subtitle of his book title is uh, The Truth Will Set You Free. Okay. And then it's The Case for Revisionism. I think it's The Case for Holocaust Revisionism. So I said, uh, John, I think it'd be better if you called it A History of Holocaust Revisionism. He said, no, I'm a lawyer. I'm pleading a case. So it's a completely different approach to the whole story than the one I took, which is a literary approach. And in that, you will get into the chemistry lesson. And the chemistry, part of the chemistry lesson is uh, you're going to have to talk about the properties of cyclone B. And I'm going to, I'm going to say it does, it doesn't work coming out of a showerhead. And if, and so what you probably have here uh, is the what you had in. Auschwitz, which was basically the Soviets take it over, they reconstruct, they shut it down completely, and then it gets reconstructed. And then that's that everyone admits that those uh, gas chambers were built uh, after the fact. So I'm not, uh, I'm not there, you were there, it would be interesting to have a discussion, uh, like when was this built, and so on and so forth. But anyway, the, the good news is what you said. 
good news is what you said. Okay. That the chapel. Yeah, that's help. The chapel is there. That means that the Catholic witness has not been erased from Dachau. That's good news. All right. Thank you there, MV. Uh, next, we're going to go to uh, Brendan Burke. Go ahead, Brendan. Hey, Dr. Jones. I got a um, kind of a small point, but I think it leads to a much larger turn. You're, uh, Mike, I couldn't hear, so you're going to have to repeat the question. Okay, so um, I, it, it seems uh, like a small point, but I think it's, it's overall it adds to the, the larger picture. There was a, a really uh, aggressive uh, social algorithm movement about stop Asian hate. Anyways, um, what I believe is that ended once it was uh, once a uh, um, Asian. Uh, uh, Chinese food delivery guy was killed because he didn't give duck sauce to um, to a guy in Queens, and it turned out the guy in Queens was Jewish. Uh, his last name was Hirsch, and then that was really took the steam out of the, all the, the stop Asian hate movement, uh, the, like the algorithms on social media. They really came to an end, and, and it really comes back. It goes to, to that point. So I, I just think it's um, it just shows you how. Um, how you know social media is really driven by an, a larger agenda okay okay that's something i'm not familiar with so i can't really comment on it i can comment i think on twitter uh now known as x uh, there was uh you remember probably remember there was a big battle between elon musk and the adl it came to nothing he was threatening a lawsuit it didn't happen and i think basically both sides backed down so uh, the ADL uh, did not uh, continue to call for a boycott. But at the same time, uh, Linda Yaccarino, who's in charge of this operation, basically implemented the ADL's policy, uh, which is on Twitter. So this their interpretation, which what they say is freedom of reach, freedom of speech, but not freedom of reach, which means, okay, I'm allowed to say something, but they are going to shadow ban it. That's that's what's happening. That's where it stands right now. I'm sorry if this doesn't address your your specific issue, but but first of all, I, I couldn't hear the beginning of it, and secondly, from what I did hear, I don't know anything about it. Okay, th thanks, there, Brennan. Sorry, I had to kind of cut you off a little bit because the audio is coming back to haunt us, like I kind of thought. But we're doing well so far. Let's just keep going. Uh, Universum uh, is going to be next. Uh, go ahead, Universum. Hello, Dr. Jones. Yes. Uh, I'm very glad that you mentioned uh, identity and ethnic identity uh, in your in your talk this evening. Um, because I was thinking of your appearance on the continuum. I think that's what Keith Woods calls it. Um, the talk was about Hegelianism and um, this idea of the, the incarnation, yeah, the incarnation, that's the right word. Um, how do you, in, in, in a philosophical sense, how can you deal with the real world, things that are, are real, but they don't mean anything like, you know, rocks or wood or whatever, uh, things that, but the things that mean things like these ideas of love and truth and justice, they aren't real, but they do have meaning. And the way that you do that is you have something that bridges the gap between, you know, the world of forms and the, the world of, you know, the material. And I, and I was thinking of that recently, and I thought, wow, you know, 
that's that's why you know we charge the battlements. That's why us white guys out here wear the spear chuckers. Um, now I'm sure you would disagree with that, and I'd be interested to to get your take on why that's probably incorrect in your opinion. But that's just how it personally resonated with me hearing that concept. So, so you're saying that the white guys are the spear chuckers. In other words, that's why you're here. You're, you're saying that. Well, that's you're, remember, you said that you um would. Spence, I think it was Richard Spencer was handing out spears and saying, right. yeah. that's so right. You must be spear chopping, but yeah, yeah, you were. And and uh, they got you got mowed down by the machine gun. Uh, and the machine gunner was a, a chubby lesbian chike, but kike by the name of Roberta Kaplan, who waged wa lawfare against certain people who were in Charlottesville, but not other people. I'm saying you are uh, just from a pragmatic point of view, if you identify with white, you're going to get slaughtered. It's that simple. Uh, if you identify as a Muslim, you will not. I'm not saying, I'm not advocating people becoming Muslim. They are what they are. I'm a Catholic, that's different. Mm. I'm saying if you have this real identity, uh, there are a lot of people that are involved They have the same identity and you will have protection uh, from the people who are trying to stop you. Uh, let me just give you an example of, of England. Okay, uh, this is the cunning of reason, the Jews flood countries like England with immigrants, uh, most of them are Muslim. It's from the wars that uh, Israel has been for fighting there, the disruption, people from Syria end up in, in London. Uh, they the, the Jews think they're going to subvert English culture, which they are doing to a certain extent. But it turns out that the, the new immigrants are worse than the original immigrants because they don't, they like Israel even less than the natives do. This is, and I, so, so the English would like to ban that. They'd like to do to uh, those people what they did to Jez Turner, but Jez Turner, Jez Turner was a veteran. He was in the British army and they threw him in jail because some Jew didn't like what he said because he identified as white. You're too vulnerable when you do that. But when the Muslims show up, you got a million Muslims walking around Piccadilly Square. You can't arrest them. There are too many of them. And that's the protection that I'm talking about that only comes in America if you have a religious identity. They're the only groups. You will not get, you You will have protection if you have that group and you will not if you're white. And I'm saying it, the fact that you're identifying as white means that you have an identity problem. That you, you're a Protestant doesn't go to church anymore. An identity though, or is it merely what you, what you kind of sense as, you know? Okay. It would be really hard for me to consciously say I will be a Catholic if I don't really, really believe it, really feel it. You know what I mean? No, you should not become a Catholic simply because you want protection from the cops. That's not the reason to become a Catholic. I'm saying that if you are, you will have protection in a way that you won't if you uh, identify as white. You're, you're putting a target on your back. By doing that, Charlottesville, in my humble opinion, was the prime example of what happens when you identify as white. You charge the machine gun nest waving a spear. You know, I mean, you, I, I applaud your bravery, but I I'm, I'm, can't applaud your prudence when you do that. Well, thankfully, I wasn't, I wasn't at Charlottesville, but um, I, I just think, um, the prag is, there, is there a non-pragmatic argument, though, in, in your opinion, for against against the, the white identity or white as an ethnos or Western or whatever you want to refer to it as. What, what, a what kind of argument? Well, because um, I remember you said that this is the pragmatic case. Let's oh, say yeah. the third yeah. argument. Yeah. 
This is not a this is not an ad hoc pragmatic idea. This is a sociological theory called the triple melting pot. And it's sociologists who are puzzling over the idea of is there such a thing as ethnic identity in America? I think if you asked Ron DeSantis, he'd say no. He'd say, no, I went to Yale. I'm a Republican. I, 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 you know, I go to the football, whatever, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Uh, I'm a fan. All of those are pseudo identities. The bedrock identity in America mm, is religion. Yeah. That's what people have been saying since the 1930s. I'm just expanding it to include Muslims because there was virtually no Muslim population back then. And there's a significant one now. I'm saying that's who you are in America. If you're, if you're saying you're something else, uh, you either have a false identity, like the uh, you know the the sports fan or the Harley Davidson rider or whatever it is that being sold to you to give you some sense of belonging, and they're really exploiting you, or you have to have the the bedrock of American identity is religion, and if you're not a Protestant, a Catholic, a Jew, or a Muslim. You're going to have to buy it, and if you buy it, you know you're not going to be happy because all of those pseudo ethnic identities are forms of control. Really, that's that's very interesting because I'm I'm actually um, perhaps I would like to, but I'm actually not aware now that I think about it. Any of my family members or my friends, if they were in a Protestant family, if they were in a Catholic family, I mean, hopefully not a Muslim or a Jewish one, but again, I would know. But it, what, what would you say for these the sort of people who are kind of not raised in a religious household. What That's would your right. identity be? That's exactly that. This is called deracination. It means you've you've been uprooted. You're an uprooted person because you don't know your past. You had a past. If you're every single white guy, at some point in history was a Catholic, because at some point in history every single European country was a Catholic country. But over this period of time, largely because of things like the Protestant Reformation, other things like that, people have lost their sense of identity. And you got to the point where, uh, I, look, one of my one of my son-in-laws didn't even know he was whether he was baptized or not. This is a type of deracination. He's now a Catholic. But I mean, this is the type of deracination that has been imposed deliberately on the American people to destroy their identity because with people with no identity are easy to control. That's the point that I'm trying to make. And that's the problem with Ron DeSantis. He doesn't have an identity. He doesn't know who he is. He can't identify the enemy, doesn't know who he is. And so he lost, he's a loser. He lost every battle. And I, you know, let's go back, go back to being governor of Florida, even though you wrecked your reputation by pandering to the Jews, uh, maybe you'll succeed there. I don't know. That's the point that I'm trying to make. And the fact that you're, you're, you're telling me that you don't know what your background was is exactly what I'm trying to say. You've lost your identity. And that's why you're white. White will fill the vacuum. You look in the mirror, I think, that's the only thing I am. I don't know what else I am. I must be white. That's, that's not true. That's not true. Okay, um, let's keep going here. Let's do one or two more questions, and then we're going to jump to the chat and cozy. So you guys start asking your questions there. Um, Patty Leather. Go ahead, Patty. You there? Hello, am I on? Yep. 
Okay, uh, Dr. Jones, I just wanted to say that you're the G.K. Chesterton and Mark Twain of our time. And, uh, you know, I think you're one of the greatest defenders of uh, Catholic Americans probably, in, in definitely in my lifetime, probably for the last hundred years. So thank you for your work. Well, thank you for saying that. I'm honored to hear you say that. And it's, it's absolutely 100% true. And... But at the same time, I want to push back on you a little bit. Um, you know, America, I believe, it, it, in your melting pot uh, theory that you talk about a lot, uh, you know, yes, I agree. There's definitely a Protestant America and a Catholic America. But that Catholic America, the way I look at it, was founded in the 1840s when the Irish and the Germans started coming to this country. For almost 200 years, Irish and German ethnicity was the two biggest ethnic groups in the United States of America. Yeah, I'm living proof of that. I'm living proof of that. I'm Irish and German. I'm biracial. Yeah, you, you absolutely are. And the, and the reason why that is is the, the Irish and the Germans mixed with each other. It was a very common thing back then. And, you know, later when other groups started coming, like the Italians and Sicilians, and late, a little bit later than that, the Slavs, like the, the Polish and the Czechs, the Irish would mix with them as well, but not nearly to the same degree as they did with the Germans. They were both Northern European people, and the mix was really good. Now, that the struggle of those people, you know, all the different wars from the Civil War to the labor rights wars to all the different struggles and passions that those people went through that's what created catholic america and i do disagree with you that after three generations we lit we lose those ethnic identities those ethnic identities yeah they're cultural and there's a lot of cultural stuff about them and language is very important i agree with you but they are also biological realities and i view the coming of hispanics to america which they have not been coming that long. They, uh, yes, the Spanish did found the American continent, but Hispanics as a whole in the United States now, they are very new. They are very much newcomers, and they've been coming since the 1960s, primarily when uh, the law was changed, the Hart Seller Act law was changed, and it was changed specifically, I believe, by the enemies of the church to flood America with foreign groups who were incompatible. And what I'm saying is, is with the large populations of Hispanics that are in the United States of America now, I remember seeing a uh, Trump rally back in, I think it was 2016 originally, and you had like fifth generation Hispanics that were protesting the Trump rally waving Mexican flags. I mean, these people are going on five generations if they still haven't uh, assimilated, they're not going to. And what I, what I would like to say is sort of just push back a little bit because there is a movement amongst communists, amongst anti-Catholics, against secularist communists who want to see, who are using, it's really a tool, it's really a mechanism of control, but it's called the, the Conquistadora, the La Raza movement, I don't know if you're familiar with it, but it's a movement to destroy Native Americans, to destroy Native Americans by telling uh, 
uh, Hispanics that actually America is theirs and we should reconquer uh, California. We should reconquer Texas and we should reconquer a lot of places in America. Now, that's primarily a communist movement, not really connected with devout Catholics. But even though it's devout Catholics. I understand what you're saying. I gave a speech in Los Angeles in 92 about the Hispanic challenge, which was a book that had just come out at that time. And I said that there's going to be an attempt to mobilize these people. Uh, someone's going to see a political opportunity. They're going to weaponize this group of this Hispanic group, the Mexicans, and try to use them for, uh, you know, as, as proxy warriors. Well, it's true. It was the Democratic Party that tried to do this. OK, so uh, that's that's true. I'm not denying. I'm not naive. I, I know that people try to weaponize these movements. Uh, you're also dealing with a completely unique phenomenon that's only understandable in light of something like uh, the Roman Empire and the collapse of assimilation at the time of the Roman Empire because the Roman Empire ran out of money. They needed mercenaries and they needed the Goths to help them. And so they allowed the Goths to cross the Danube River en masse and establish their culture on the other side. That's the end of assimilation. Guess what? The analogy here is the Rio Grande River. It's right across Mexico. My forebears, if they wanted to go back to where they came from, they had to take a ship uh, in a perilous ocean voyage that they may have drowned on the way back. This is a completely new situation. It's also compounded by the fact that there is no such thing as an American anymore. Now, what, what am I saying about that? There was a time when uh, we had things like the melting pot pageant, World War I, where there was an American identity epitomized by someone like Theodore Roosevelt. He understood that he was an American. He wanted other people to become Americans and he had to do certain things to become an American. All that's gone. When I first arrived in South Bend, Indiana over 40 years ago, there was a 4th of July celebration and everybody in South Bend came together and there were bikers and biker chicks and there were lawyers wearing, uh, you know, uh, uh, tweed jackets and so on and so forth. Everybody came to America. The man who killed that was Pete Buttigieg who basically turned every single parade in South Bend into a gay pride parade. This is identity politics as practiced by the American, uh, by the Democratic Party, and it destroyed the idea of an American. So you can't expect these people to assimilate because you can't assimilate anymore because there's no such thing as America anymore, period. They're only individual groups. And uh, some groups are preferred groups, some have Jewish privilege, some have homosexual privilege, some have Harley Davidson, whatever, whatever. Uh, uh, but th the point is that there is no common denominator anymore, which means that you're, uh, you need an identity because otherwise you're going to be swallowed up by all of these competing uh, ethnic groups that are being weaponized to, to, to destroy you. That's the change in the situation. It's not, it's not as simple as simply becoming an American. Nobody knows what that means anymore. All right. Let us jump to Cozy real quick. Uh, we got like 10 more minutes. Let's try to answer some questions here. Try to be quick about it. From Catulus, um, Doctor, do you think there is something good in Austrian School of Economics and people like uh, Mises and uh, Hayek? No. Nothing at all. No, 
read Baron Metal if you want my views on economics. Uh, the Austrian school is a complete, is an ideology. Nobody takes it. If you're talking about people who get degrees in economics, nobody takes it seriously. And I don't take it seriously either. Not that I'm uh, promoting gen uh, the school of what you learn in economics. But Jeffrey Sachs just said everything he learned in economics, uh, the graduate school was worthless. Uh, so I'm not defending that, but I'm saying the Austrian school of economics, so-called economics, is nothing but an ideology. It's an obsolete movement. It's based on the the real the world as of 1947, which is when uh, Orwell wrote 1984, where there were huge socialist combines, where England was basically a socialist country. There was too much government control of everything. And they thought, all you have to do is privatize and that will solve every problem. Well, guess what? Everything has been privatized now. The government has been privatized. And now what we have is Google running the world uh, based uh, as a private uh, corporation, which means you have no rights uh, under the law. So it's a no, it's a completely obsolete, worthless ideology, uh, an obsolete uh economic uh, ideology based on a world that no longer exists. From Kingfish AF, uh, this is a good question because you're in Florida. Uh, Dr. Jones, what is your favorite Disney movie? Snow White. Snow White, there we are. I saw it when I was four years old. It scared the shit out of me. I've never gotten over it. Why, because the, the witch with the apple? Was that? Of course, that was the scariest part. I ran out of the theater screaming. My mother had to run after me. <laughs> All right. Um, a related question uh, from Cozy M V V W Mon Mon Manu, whatever his name is. Uh, what is the pawnbroker of Disney movies, if there is one? You mean the turning point? Yeah. Uh, that's a good question. We we have to. We should ask Alisa. Alisa Rangel would know better about this. She's the one who wrote on Disney. That's a good question. That's one that she should answer. But in the meantime, read her article in Culture Wars. This is the type of thing you're missing if you don't read Culture Wars. Not just me, it's other brilliant people uh, like Elisa. And I don't know exactly, I'm trying to remember what I remember from her article. What was the Disney turning point? That's a good question. And I, I'm drawing a blank here. What was the, do you have any, it's like, like, let's see if we can work our way. Like Mary Poppins, Mary Poppins was a Disney movie. That was a great movie. That's 64. Did something happen? Uh, I don't know. I can't ask, sorry, I can't answer that question. Well, when did the Jews take over Disney? Wasn't that? That was in the 60s. It was a big uh, uh, proc, uh, stock battle. And Roy did, Walt died and then Roy Disney tried to keep control and basically he lost control of the operation. It was a hostile takeover. Hmm. What was the first... That's a really good question, and I don't know the answer. Okay. Uh, my, my, my assistant here, my business manager, says Little Mermaid. Little Mermaid? I can, I can see that. It was a little Promoting bit. Promoting feminism? I, I know Fro Frozen was promoting homosexuality and homosexual undertones. Let It Go was the big famous song, and all homosexuals kind of like let it go as an I'm gay, let it go. Yeah. You know, so, but uh, yeah, Little Mermaid sounds more accurate because that was earlier. Okay, from Stroons on Cozy, uh, where do Orthodox Christians fall into the triple melting pot? 
it's a purely demographic question. So if if they achieve a, a demographic power, in other words, uh, is there an orthodox neighborhood? Uh, that would mean that they would have political power, and once you have political power, then you're part of the uh, of the melting pot thing. But as far as I know, I don't I don't think the orthodox have that kind of political power. They've never they've never had. Now I know that there are a lot of Serbs in in Chicago. Uh, but one swallow does not a spring make. Uh, they, I don't have they have this. I don't think the Serbs have ever had. They're a dominant Orthodox group. I don't think they've ever had enough political power to let's uh, let's say control uh, an area of territory. And so as a result, they would not be considered part of the uh, of the melting pot, uh, a, a religious identity. It's certainly in potential. It's purely a demographic question. When enough Orthodox take over uh, a certain district, congressional district, then they're they're part of the game. From Chad Kath on Cozy, uh, how should we as Catholics view Paul Gottfried? He seems to be willing to condemn anti-fascism and Jews. So, look, there, uh, we've talked about this before. I think I think Paul's married to a, uh, an Irish Catholic. Um, Paul Gottfried is the guy who got me to write the Jewish revolutionary spirit. Uh, it was a conversation with Paul Gottfried uh, in Tom Fleming's living room, where he accused us all of being pussies because we weren't uh, attack, weren't standing up to the Jews. And I took him uh, seriously, and I wrote it. And then I wrote uh, that the speech I gave to uh, at the Paul Francis Sam Francis Memorial sent it to Paul, said, what do you think? You know, I'm kind of following your plan here. Never heard back from him. He's in the audience. I gave the speech. The thing blew up. I've talked about that before. Uh, incredibly controversial. And Paul, at this point, comes up to me and says, I can't believe you said that. Well, I told you, Paul. I was following your instructions. I, so to get to the heart of the matter, I don't, I, there's a certain point where the, the the heart meets God that is beyond is not visible certainly not from the outside and I've already talked about uh, I don't understand why some people convert and some people don't I don't understand that uh, it's a mystery here and it has to do with the action of God's grace in the soul and I have no way of talking about that so I'll have to leave it at what I just said Okay, um, it's about six. Uh, one, one or two more questions? Yeah, let's have two more. All right, um, I'm kind of jumping around here in the chat. Um, from Dairy, Queen, uh, Dairy King, uh, question. On behalf of those of us who haven't read The Jewish Revolutionary Spirit, where do Mormons fit into all of this? Mormons, Mormons are part of this, the, this, this spiritual outburst that took place during the 1840s. I think that the absence of sacramental confession leads to these explosions, like the Great Awakening in the 1740s in the Connecticut River Valley. Uh, it, it leads to these emotional outbursts and something, I, I'd have to study the period more, but this is also the time when the Seventh-day Adventists came in. Father Miller, Hawthorne talks about this in, his, in some of his writings. Father Miller predicted, predicted the end of the world. Uh, uh, everybody was thinking this way at this time. It's just a millennialist uh, moment in, in American history. And that's where the Mormons came from. They, they were a, ma a manifestation of this. 
Now, how that fits into the Jewish revolutionary spirit? Well, I don't, I don't think it does, certainly not directly. I do not cover Mormons. They're not like Puritans. Puritans are obvious, obvious Judaizing sect. This is, this is not clear. It's, it seems to me, I should study more about Mormonism, but it seems to me that it's, it's related to Freemasonry. It's related to the mumbo jumbo that's behind all of the Freemasonry. Uh, that was this was the time when you had an anti-Masonic party coming into existence in America. That's, that's where it came to the burnt over district of upstate New York is where the, all the stuff began, uh, those revivals. And then once they, uh, Joseph Smith started to proclaim the gospel, according to Moroni, uh, he was completely odious in everyone's lives. And they just drove them. Every community just drove them out. They, they occupied Beaver Island in the middle of Lake Michigan for a while. And then they were just driven out to where nobody wanted to live, which was Utah. And that's where they, they ended up. Okay, last one here. Pale Rider, 1861, on Cozy, asks, Dr. Jones, why was Father Coughlin recalled at such a critical period in American history? Because the new bishop got appointed. A new bishop, the, the, bishop, the bishop who approved of Father Coughlin's sermons uh, was replaced by a new bishop. And uh, from what I understand, Cardinal Spellman exerted pressure on the bishop to uh, ban, uh, to, to suspend uh he, he was not suspended just told him to stop broadcasting on the radio uh these were people who were supporting the new deal monsignor ryan was a big supporter of the new deal he broke with it at a certain point he may have been still supporting it at this point but father Coughlin was so outside of the mainstream of uh, catholic thought at that point that he was vulnerable he was also a canadian whether that played a role in it or not but he he remember he remained a priest in good standing was still a uh, pastor of uh, Little Flower Parish uh, until he died, which was in the 60s. So he just, under obedience, he was told to stop broadcasting. I think it was wrong. I think it was, uh, it was political pressure that should not have been used to silence a man who was a charismatic figure, uh, but it happened and that's, that's life. All right. Well, there, there you go, guys. Um, thanks again. This was EMJ Live. Uh, once again, we're here every Friday at 5. Uh, subscribe to Culture Wars Magazine if you need books, fidelitypress.org. Telegram, Cozy, BitChute, Rumble. You guys know what to do. We almost have 3,000 followers on Cozy, so if you're listening and you have not followed us on Cozy, follow us. This is that 3,000. Uh, that's it. No announcements on my end. Dr. Jones, last words. It's my own damn fault. <laughs> all right guys we'll see you next week and y'all have a good one